1: fun. Let's at least not be bored.
0: Come on, pre-chorus. And
1: we're live. It's time
0: it is Wednesday, February 9th, 2022, three p.m. We are three minutes late, as you all very well know, because of technical difficulties. We have a guest host today, the... Uh, estimable Eve Goumont, who has the monologue today. Eve, the floor is yours.
2: Thanks, Ben. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about uh, Olympism, actually. Uh, I was, as a Canadian, it's, it is Winter Olympics. And as a Canadian, I should be super happy about that. And I used to be super happy about that. Uh, but I'm not anymore, actually. I didn't follow followed it at all. I don't know if it's because it is in China and like, oh yeah, cool, not, not so cool, China. Or it's because we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic uh, and that's so cool to gather all countries together because of that. But I figured out uh, this morning, speaking with Ben, that uh, the, the key to bring back my enthusiasm regarding Olympism should be um, to uh, bring back a sport that we used to have here in Quebec, which is uh, downhill um skating uh, so yeah I invite us I, I invite all Wait, of you to go what sk- is downhill skating yeah so there it's it's a finance by um, Red Bull they're building big uh, course into city they light it up and they uh, ask hockey player to just go downhill very quick and like they push it, each other and they uh, try to finish first. Uh, so, yeah, it's basically a mix between um, cross, like, I don't know the, how you call it in, like, uh, s- snowboarding with, uh, like, jumps. jumps and all of stuff, and skating. So, yeah, that's... It's
0: basically a- like a combination of bobsledding and snowboarding
3: and ice skating. Yeah. A L- little roller derby thrown <laughs> in there, too, it sounds
2: like. with. Yeah.
3: I'm very interested in this. No, the oh.
2: videos are super cool and you used to have some uh in St Paul, I think. There used to be some courses and uh, some races in um in the United States as well. And they're doing it in um uh, in France in, on the on the Cote d'Azur. Uh, so yeah, ma- many places around the world doing such competitions. Ruth Anna is bringing up exactly what I'm thinking. I'm remembering the Paris team where they
4: were doing a side-by-side spin and his skate went into her head. She did come back and skate later, not that day. And that's all I can think about in this is all of the injuries that I've witnessed
2: in figure skating. Are you for these injuries, Ev? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm all for blood. I'm very, very <laughs> pro-blood and injuries. All right.
4: Personal.
0: So we are pro-blood. Vicious Canadians, um, and... Um,
4: we just uh, like a little color on the snow, that's all. And we
0: are not allowed <laughs> to have fun anymore. Cherry ice. We are working to bring back Glenn, who is having uh, technical difficulties, uh, uh, which uh, I am trying to resolve. Um, but we are here to talk about bloodthirsty Canadian truckers... Um, uh, so, um, Alicia, get us started. What is going on in Ottawa and why are there, uh, why are Americans all of a sudden talking about Canadian politics for the first time ever?
4: That That's actually rather sad. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll just say that from the start. I really need Glenn to come back because I know he'll be a much better introducer on this topic, but... Um, nearly a couple weeks ago, a protest, uh, arrived that had been traveling across the country as part of a convoy, uh, for freedom, um, to come and protest, basically mandates. Uh, they like to say that they are not anti-vax, but it started with an anti-vax issue. Um, there was, uh, you may know that we have the longest undefended border in the world and a lot of cross-border traffic because we're utterly dependent on Americans to, uh, bring us supplies (laughs) and the um canadian government issued about a week before a mandate that all truckers crossing the border would have to be vaccinated this is something that the americans are doing as well um and then this started this protest against that it's a tiny tiny portion of overall truckers and the canadian trucking association says that it is a non-problem that these guys you know that the the vaccination is a problem so anyway they uh kind of um amalgamated this this trucker i'm gonna do trucker in quotation marks because it isn't a lot of trucks i actually got to see the convoy coming in on the friday before they arrived in ottawa because they passed near where i live and i was stupid enough to go into the next city there were people which shocked me on all of the overpasses all the way in and this is like a rural environment who were supporting them um the vast majority of vehicles that i saw going in were like pickup trucks with Canadian flags. And I get to swear on this show. Oh, so, yeah. uh, fuck Trudeau flags like in black, white, red, and white, which reminds me as a propaganda scholar of other things. Um, and also like hanging off the back, which reminded me a little bit of a different group in the Middle East. And, um, so then they converged at our local truck stop. So I went by and looked at that and it was also a really weird hodgepodge. Anyway, long story short, they get up in Ottawa, they start blockading streets with their vehicles Um, They're not the biggest protest that ever happened in terms of numbers, but because of the machinery that they've been bringing in to block the streets, it takes up a lot more space. And they have been honking their horns pretty much day and night. Um, They're really decamped. They had actual structures that they brought in, wooden structures in parks to feed and supply everybody. Um, They put bouncy castles up and saunas. And then they proceeded to harass um, the local community in the downtown core of Ottawa, which is pretty interesting because the city knew it was coming and did nothing. Uh, The provincial government did nothing. And our prime minister uh, got COVID. And so he went into isolation in the midst of all of it. Uh, And on the first couple of days, we saw Nazi symbols, uh, swastikas drawn on Canadian flags, uh confederate confederate flag in the last couple of days we've seen pro-trump flags apparently trump is going to (laughs) become our next prime minister um and a lot of harassment of minority groups so uh women people of color um lgbtq a lot of harassment there and the pinnacle has been the attempted burning of an entire apartment building which is under investigation really hope Glenn is coming in because his details will be a lot better.
0: Yeah, so I am working on getting <laughs> Glenn in and uh, uh, failing. Um, uh, so, Glenn, um, can you, uh, if you're seeing this, can you say something in the chat so that I can uh, make sure I'm getting the right person? Um, so I see I, you. He sees us. Uh, where did you just see him?
4: I saw him in the chat.
0: Uh, where he is says, he, I see you. Where is I see
4: you? Beneath Jonathan Ruttenberg and above Rob in Maryland.
0: Um, gross. What so That's hell? kind I of don't... it.
4: And, and what we've kind um, of... Oh, wait. Been...
0: Ah, there he is. Okay. Um. Wait. All right. I Now I at least know I have invited the right person. Um... And uh, so, Ev, this threatened to spread to other places in Canada, and there was even a sort of abortive thing in Quebec City. Uh, Tell us about the Quebec convoy version of this.
2: Yeah, so, exactly. Um, People very uh, passionate about what was happening in Ottawa Uh, Decided one guy uh, who was a former uh, um, association guy uh, in the the sector of construction uh, decided that he would lead his own convoy going to Quebec City. Um, And he managed to bring uh, 500 uh, big trucks, uh, 500 trucks in the city of Quebec. Uh, But given that we knew what was happening in Ottawa, uh, the mayor and the the premier here. Um, they did a pretty good job at containing them. Uh, they, uh, they controlled their arrival. So as soon as they were getting in the city, they were taking their, uh, their license and making sure that everyone was, um, was, uh, it was clear who, who everyone was. Uh, they were asking them to park their trucks. They're allowed two trucks to get close to the national assembly. All mm-hmm. of the, the other trucks had to be parked. Um, they were giving uh, uh, tickets when uh, the, orning, the, the honking was too loud, um, so it, it last one, lasted one day, um, and they were uh, only allowed to protest uh, by foot, like being walking around the National Assembly. Um, and it was cold; uh, it's Quebec, so uh, after one day, at at um, Five o'clock on Saturday, most of them were, were gone. Um, but when I went there, uh, I walked a bit around and I realized that we're something off. Uh, it was not our normal protest. Uh, it was like, uh, there were many English mes- messages, which is not completely usual in Quebec. And this is where I texted um, Alicia actually. And I think that she had some stuff, interesting stuff to say about that. Um, I'm not completely sure it is like, of course there are people who are uh, upset about the rules. We have vaccine mandates and like many regulations around COVID. So yeah, there are people who are uh, upset about that, um, but it doesn't seem like genuinely coming from them. I think that there's some sort of influence or actually. Yeah, so that was my feeling. And apparently, my feeling was not too wrong.
0: Right. So let's talk about that, Alicia. What's your. Uh, and I'm still working on Glenn. Uh... You're, You're
4: muted. muted.
0: Sorry what um so let's talk about that while i keep working on glenn i'm trying to multitask here and the result is that i end up muted (laughs) when i'm talking um what is uh what do we know about the cross-border nature of this um how canadian are these canadian patriots
4: uh i mean i think a lot of them are canadian it's a weird hodgepodge of a group so you have this small minority of truckers involved you've definitely got far right elements that have been labeled as the um, key organizers of this. Like they've had past instances where they've belied some um, far right sentiments. Um, Then you also have kind of anarchists and far right or like evangelicals. The other thing that's pretty interesting to me listening to the people talking in Ottawa and also some of my own friends who are very supportive of it uh, you've got a lot of rural canadians and then eastern europeans canadians like people hmm. who moved here in their state. and that to me has been interesting there was a polish bakery that was supplying them with food uh, but this is kind of it makes sense because there's this whole element of not wanting to be told what to do coming out of you know former communist countries um, and then you do likely have some Americans, you definitely have Americans funding it because you had you had politicians in Texas complaining when the GoFundMe campaign went down, oh. which was one of the largest GoFundMe um, campaigns in its history. And when the GoFund, when GoFundMe decided that this was not acceptable and that there was violence being spread and stuff, they shut it down and said that they were going to contact people to give the money back. So then they moved to an, another platform that's well known among the far right. And they raised like within two or three days, another six or seven million.
3: And that's um, on top of the 10 million that they had in GoFundMe. The, so that's 16 yes, million total.
4: The 10 million million's gone. That all right. goes back to to the people who donated. Right. And now the, the recap was that. Now, what happened was you had some Texas politicians weighing in on Twitter, complaining yes. because Texans were giving money to it. But beyond that, in the last couple of days, there was another uh, news article that came out that found that a woman's account, a Facebook account, I think she was in Missouri, who her account had been hacked on Facebook, and it was being used to organize all of these groups on Facebook and run the fundraising behind it. Wow. Um, and so there's a lot of question over like, who's actually behind it? How many Americans are in it? But one thing I would like to say is there's this really great book called American Nations who the author is escaping me right now. But it has this theory that really, you have different nations within North America, and Mm -hmm. they actually spread across the border. And so you have this kind of like Midwest, um, Montana jutting up to Alberta and Saskatchewan, and that mentality is a lot more similar than say, people in Ontario or the East Coast coming down the East Coast. And so I think we take for granted, well, I think Canadians are well aware of how you influence us. We see it all the time. We have your media nonstop. You're just not as aware of that interconnectivity. Um, I mean, you never notice our good actors or singers,
3: just the bad ones. (laughs) I I don't know, Ryan Reynolds is pretty great. Um, But the one thing that I did wanna just quickly touch on is I love, I actually, as an American, had to refresh myself in Canadian geography where the cities were. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting considering the complaining from certain Texas politicians about disrupting peaceful protesting, it did not sound all that peaceful. But one of the solutions that seems to have been implemented in Quebec is that the actual just utilization of laws that are already existing and systems that are already implemented to control bad actors and just like civil society seem to be pretty successful. Um, So how much of that was just a lack of preparation, in your opinion, for Ottawa? Or was it just kind of we're not taking this group too seriously?
4: Uh, Nice question. (laughs) <laughs> um, I think is, there's, a, there's a bunch of things that are at play here. Uh, one is that um, I think that the Ottawa police, it would appear if we're going to believe social media posts and things that come out, uh, that the Ottawa police has a lot of sympathizers who uh, don't see it as problematic and actually support them. There was one instance of, a, of an officer who actually had her uniform on and it looked like she was sitting in her car, her cruiser, oh, wow. like doing a live video about her support for it. There's other things that um, Glenn, if we can get it back in here, could talk about, he covered that. Of like police helping Working them- on it. Keep, Yeah, I know. Giving them advice on how to get their jerry cans of gas filled. Um, and also just like bringing them coffee and things like that. So there's a, there's a huge question as to whether the Ottawa police really wanted to do anything. Now, the line that they took was, we're taking a de-escalation approach this but i have another friend uh, micah clark who did a good thread on this on twitter and one of the things that he said is for de-escalation to work they have to have uh an actual articulated aim of what they want which they don't if you read their their agenda it's pretty incoherent um the second thing is they have to believe in authority and the legitimacy of those powers to negotiate with them which they don't um then the second thing about all of that is that Center Town, and Tim Aubrey is a good one to watch on this as well. Centertown, which is the downtown core and other parts that it's spilling over to in like Vanier are really widely neglected by the Ottawa City Council. For a long time, the mayor has had this approach that has focused more on the suburbs and outer areas and like just neglected that downtown court. So there's a little bit here at play that makes me wonder whether this is just another extension of that, that they didn't care, they didn't believe them, this some of them are supporters. Um, and then the other peculiar thing about Ottawa is that it falls, Parliament Hill is not technically like provincial or this capital's jurisdiction, it is part of the um, the NCC, the National Capital Commission. And so you've got this, and that's the RCMP that would deal with that, but then the outer area of it would be the Ottawa police force. And so you have this multiple layering of governmental jurisdictions that make it really challenging sometimes to operate, but that's not an excuse because every level of government was absent it seems from yeah. the municipal to the provincial to the federal leader. Now, like I just like... want to
0: say that this would never happen in the United States because we have the Capitol <laughs> Police. And, you know, if you tried to disrupt downtown Washington, that would never be tolerated or okay because we have this, you know, these elite forces <laughs> that that make sure that you cannot uh, disrupt government business in Washington, D.C. Hey,
4: did <laughs> of a day right like we're still like we're into like the second week um and and back to the laws they did break a whole bunch of bylaws but then they said oh there's too many of them and we're too understaffed to do anything about it and then a couple of days ago they said they would enforce and there's really big questions of whether they are enforcing and then there was a court order <laughs> there was a court order that they could no longer honk their horns at night and that also i've heard from friends living
2: downtown that that hasn't lasted it doesn't work I was quite enthusiastic when I saw they they got got the injunction, but uh, you say that it doesn't work? Well, they
4: don't. So the thing is, this this hodgepodge of protesters doesn't really seem to believe in the legitimacy of the government or the courts. However, there are two things that they keep harping on, which is like the Charter of Rights and Freedom saying that this is all infringing if they can't have their protest. And lately they've been pointing to the Geneva Convention that preventing them from getting gas is against the Geneva Convention.
0: Wow. Yeah, I just want to say, uh, last I checked, there is neither a state of occupation nor a state of armed conflict, domestic or international, in Ottawa. But uh, maybe we should revisit that conclusion. Um, kind, kind of in this vein... Oh, I'm sorry, Ben, please. So I, I am... I don't think we're getting uh,
4: Glenn. Alas.
0: Glenn is... Uh, 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 I am failing utterly to bring Glenn on the screen. Um, uh, And (laughs) I uh, want to apologize to Glenn for that. Um, So here is what I'm going to do. Um, Glenn, if you can hear me, which I think you can, uh, call Alicia uh, on your phone and we will at least, and Alicia put him on speakerphone and we will at least get his voice.
4: Yeah, one second. I'm just going to text to my number. It's on okay. Twitter. I'm sending it to you on Twitter, private messages. So
0: I am going to mute Alicia uh, while we set that up. And apologies to everybody, particularly Glenn, uh, for that. Um, so I want to ask uh, the question that I think is on anybody's mind, everybody's mind, which is related to the matter that Alicia was uh, referring to before, which is this kind of cross-border, far-right interplay. And I want to trace a little bit of history for a second, and uh, if, if you have thoughts on it. So it seems to me we had the Tea Party in the United States. A few months later, uh, you guys had Rob Ford in, uh, in Ontario, in, in Toronto, which has a real pre-Trump-like quality to it. Then, um, uh, and we don't notice, of course, Rob Ford in the United States, except in the sense that, you know, there's occasional jokes about um, uh, crack-smoking Toronto mayor. It all seems very uh, US. And then we kind of get Trump which is sort of Rob Ford on steroids or maybe we shouldn't have drug jokes about Rob Ford um and then you guys have Doug Ford his brother uh and then there's kind of January 6th and now there's this so it does feel like we're having a kind of weird cross-border far-right dialogue and uh ev i'm curious what you think the uh is that like first of all where is quebec in that uh, are you guys just like your own thing that doesn't play in those waters or uh and secondly like you know should we be blaming canada for all the far-right stuff because you know we look over the border and actually you're like a month ahead of us
2: uh, on the second question, I don't know that I can answer. On the first one, I can though. Um, well, no, Quebec is not out outside of this at all. Actually, there's the populist party, um, which is a Canadian uh, party, which is uh, led by a guy, Maxime Bernier, who likes to call himself Mad Max. Uh, was a former uh, minister when it was uh, Stephen Harper w- who was the prime minister. Uh, he was defense minister. He was uh, under many, many scandals because he was not uh, particularly uh, like good at it. Um, they, he left. up oh, well, another possible uh, link between United States and Canada. He left some important documents in the car, and um, in the his like girlfriend's car, and uh, used, it was like private information and like national security information Uh, So uh, not so dissimilar to what you're experiencing now with Donald Trump leaving with the documents. Well, uh, so Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, This guy is actually fighting vaccine mandates. He's uh, deep down into conspiracy and far right Um, and he is uh, More likely to be elected elsewhere in the country than in quebec where is actual writing uh is not very much into it to him anymore. His father used to be um, MP of this writing, Then he has been member of this. Uh, uh, he has been deputy of this writing, But since um, he, he founded his his own party, uh, he's not able to um, to be elected anymore. So yeah, we're. And for the second question, I'm letting uh, Alicia answer. As to are we influencing the United States?
4: We have Glenn. I hope you can hear
2: him.
0: Glenn, can you hear me?
1: Oh, yeah. I can hear you. Sorry about all the technical problems. Yeah, problems
0: the system. No. Nope. Can we uh, hear him? Yeah, we can hear you. Uh, speak loudly and slowly. And Alicia, when he's speaking, hold him up to the microphone. Okay.
4: Where's the microphone?
0: Just your computer. I'm here. Or- it's here. Yeah, excellent. Don't show his number, though, because then, <laughs> then then the truckers are all going to start texting him. All right. So, Glenn, uh, uh, let's start with uh, what you can tell us about who these people are, how many of them are there, and how uh, indigenous to Canada is it, and how much of it is actually U.S. influenced. Is this us sending you our worst, uh, or is this uh, your own problem?
1: Yeah, uh, we're not sure. Uh, uh, and I think uh, Alicia and Eve have covered it off really well so we set up what, what exactly is happening here. But if you can rewind the tape back to 2016, I think a lot of Canadians looked on with puzzlement uh, at what was happening uh, with the election, uh, with, your, with your presidential election. Uh, and then uh, a lot of them uh, were frankly horrified at what happened in the consuming four years. We had public opinion polls in Canada, but what Canadians thought of Donald Trump, it was overwhelmingly negative. So we didn't think that kind of political sentiment was existed in Canada. And so what we've been confronted with over the past couple of weeks is really kind of surprising a lot of people, uh, because it seems to be a lot of those kind of sentiments now expressed through this movement that has been channeled. Uh, as Lisa explained at the beginning, with positions of resistance to almost of a fairly narrow piece of public uh, policy that is the uh, the, the vaccination of uh, requirement truckers who drive across the Canada-U.S. border. And it's a very a small number of people in the tens of thousands who work in the trucking industry and who have not been vaccinated, uh, and also the policy point. us a week after we imposed our own requirement the u.s put theirs in place so that means that theoretically if canada didn't have the requirement the truckers could come from the united states into canada but they couldn't go back into the u.s uh, without having to face potential 14-day quarantine which would effectively mean they couldn't uh, do their jobs so uh, to your question though of them of who the, these people are there is a component absolutely of those people there are, i've spoken to truckers uh, out on the streets of Ottawa, uh, who have essentially lost their livelihoods because, for whatever reason, they decided they didn't want to get vaccinated, and they can't drive their rigs across the United States, which is a great represents a great deal of their business because there's an enormous amount of Canada-U.S. cross-border trade, and you're seeing how big that is as the truck protest moves from Ottawa, as it did a couple of days ago, to, to Detroit and to to Windsor, Windsor, Ontario, Detroit, Michigan, are connected by the Ambassador Bridge. It is, uh, I believe it is the busiest uh, border crossing, certainly in North America, and possibly the world. Literally hundreds of millions of dollars of goods going back and forth there uh, every week. And it's really key to the auto sectors, which in Canada, our auto sectors are highly integrated with yours, um, particularly in Windsor, Ontario, and, and Detroit, but also in other places in southern Ontario. And the problem is we have heard a lot of concern about supply chain during the pandemic. And one of the initial arguments that the Trumpers gave, who are supporting this, this movement, was that requiring them to be vaccinated, some of them won't drive, and that will cut off the supply chain. We have this whole week uh, of people posting pictures from their grocery stores showing that empty shelves and places. Uh, turns out it wasn't really, that wasn't really the issue with this and weather. Uh, supply chain has been affected, of course, by the, the pandemic, just generally, um, but the, the problem that we're you see, at the Ambassador Bridge, this parallel protest to where and in Ottawa is that trucks can't get across, and because the automotive is, is, is such a just-in-time delivery industry that we are now facing potential temporary plant closures on both sides of the border because the parts aren't moving back and forth, and that's going to mean workers are going to lose shifts, uh, they're going to lose wages, uh, unions that represent all the workers are upset about it, uh, and it's it's become quite an uh, issue down there. But let me just continue on to your point, and I'm sorry I'm rambling here, but to who the group is that is protesting here in Ottawa. So that, yes, there are those drivers, but there are also people who are set up with uh, COVID mandates in general. They don't like uh, the fact that they have to be vaccinated to fly domestically on a Canadian flight or travel by train, which is another one of those provisions that the federal government put in place. Uh, And there's also a smaller little component of uh, people who wouldn't normally align with these groups, and they are um, mostly women. Uh, I I found them mostly younger women with a lot of of moms who have a personal aversion to the idea. They're kind of into uh, alternative medicine. Uh, naturopathy, things like that, and they are also kind of represented right here. And then you have kind of another branch of this, which is people who just are politically opposed to the government. They don't like him. Uh, they revile him, uh, and um, it, uh, this is an, another channel for them. So it's it's by no means a homogeneous group. There's a lot of different interests here, but it's all kind of coalesced uh, in a, in the last two weeks into. This movement and uh, also, uh, interesting part about it is they really kind of uh, tried to well, they, 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 they claim they are reflecting uh, Canada, the, the sentiments of Canadians in general, which Poland shows is true because an overwhelming percentage of Canadians are actually vaccinated, somewhere up at over 80% fully vaccinated, and uh, over 50% are sort of them sort booster shot. Uh, but they also sit and uh, try and position themselves as a representative of the working class, too, uh, because. Uh, Talking as a working industry, and see also some farmers come out. Uh, and uh, so it really is, or set up now, kind of a, uh, a really disparate
3: mixed group. So, Glenn, I'm just curious um, specifically about just more the working class sentiment and how I you think that perhaps their sentiments towards the protest and the mandates could change, or what kind of situation do you see especially when we get into those real world effects of there being physical um and financial ramifications for the protest especially within that group do you think that would be enough to change the sentiment or do you think that it's just comes down to an ideology that's just opposed to mandates at this point
1: yeah and i'm just i'm not going to stipulate that this this group truly does represent the working class and i mean uh You will certainly know this in Canada uh, the working class has typically uh, well at least until recently uh, has aligned with a party called the New Democrats they were this, uh, this party of the left uh, the conservative movement formerly the progressive conservative that in the 1990s morphed into uh, a sort of a western alienation party and then kind of reconfigured itself as the conservatives now they've been on the right side and the liberals have been a more of a centrist party those things have shifted a lot uh, recently and and I think it kind of reflects what you saw in the United States with Trump, uh, his, his appeal to uh, working class and rural voters that the federal conservatives here in Canada are now seeing that as an accessible group. And Eve mentioned also the People's Party of Canada, which essentially it's, it's a very fringe party. They failed to elect a single uh, member of the legislature in, in the last elections, but the the, the, the federal conservatives want to bring those people back into their tent uh for a, a electoral game one of the effects of this has been a cleavage in the last week within the conservative party in fact they just dumped uh their leader who lost the last election uh, back in the hall um, in part uh, because of his sort of middle-of-the-road response to these protests you had a lot of uh, members of parliament these are like our uh, congressmen going out and taking their, taking photos with the protesters on the street in front of Parliament Hill, which is, of course, their workplace, uh, and that caused uh, some division in the party because people who are more centrist in the party, including the then leader, Aaron O'Toole, uh, were less comfortable with that, and then there was kind of a a little bit of a push in inside the Conservative Party and his members of his parliamentary caucus, the MPs, are congressional equivalents, uh, decided to vote him out as leader and replace him with an interim leader who had been very vocal in her support of the the truckers and had seen it uh, according to leaked email that she had sent as a way, as kind of a political wedge to put the problem on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Uh, she, uh, our reporting shows that in a meeting with some of the uh, leaders of that parliamentary group, she actually even repeated the phrase, good people on both sides, an echo of the very fine people on both sides, of course, uh, that your former president had used after the uh, Charlottesville Unite the Right rallies. Um, so uh, this, it's a party divided now. And we don't know if a more centrist candidate is gonna come forward and try and take uh, control of it. And I wandered off from the point about the working class, but it's fair to say that conservatives believe they can bring more working class voters, and just kind of disaffected people uh, of the kind, um, you know, uh, we don't really have an equivalent of, you know, hillbilly elegy here in Canada, uh, our, our, our lowest incomes aren't as low as yours, and, um, but there's still a constituency like there uh, that I think some conservatives feel they they can court electorally. and this protest that we're seeing here is really uh we're, we're meeting a lot of these people uh here in ottawa and, and listening to them and, and seeing that they are although they are a small number in ottawa and they grossly overinflate their estimate of their actual size uh there's clearly a constituency here for this and um it's going to be a factor in canadian politics until the next election for sure
4: can i just jump in is that okay Um, Glenn, I I, now I want to bring up the last the last time that the Conservatives had elected a leader and wasn't the kingmaker in that contest quite frighteningly to the far right? Do you know who I'm talking about? The lawyer from Toronto, which was also odd because she is from Toronto. Uh,
1: Yes. Right. So, um, yeah. uh, Yeah. So in the last leadership race for the party, yes. not the last Prime Minister, but but the last the last leadership base, uh, race that elected Aaron O'Toole. And I'll tell you, Aaron O'Toole is a um, sort of mid-50s guy. He, he was a, a corporate lawyer before. Uh, he's a, a military veteran. He was a navigator on uh, search and rescue uh, helicopters. Uh, he, he was kind of considered a, 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 fair, a relatively centrist guy, uh, although he did kind of come from uh, the Stephen Harper lineage, uh, which was the former Conservative Prime Minister who managed to put together um, uh, a nine year uh, term in, in power before he lost to Justin Trudeau. And and yeah, so in the leadership race, uh, he, Aaron you know, O'Toole had to kind of campaign for that job, that top job of the party, uh, from a more uh, right-wing, uh, stronger conservative uh, position, particularly on social issues, which is still a very reactive constituency for that party. Um, uh, uh, although abortion rights are, are pretty much a settled uh, issue here. Uh, and one of the candidates who ran against him uh, was a lawyer from Toronto uh, named uh, Leslie Lewis, uh, who was a black woman, uh, and that was attractive for a party that has had trouble uh, getting votes uh, from uh, ethnic communities. Uh, and she's, she had sort of this meteoric rise. She hadn't been in a member of parliament before, which is usually the traditional path towards becoming leader. And she was kind of a, a kingmaker in that uh, O'Toole's main rival in that race was a guy who had been in the Harper cabinet as um defense minister and justice minister named uh, Peter McKay. He was the son of a, a guy who had been a cabinet minister in the Brian Mulroney government from the 1980s, progressive conservative government. So he had this kind of like... Uh, political lineage and that was kind of an upset because mckay was considered a, a centrist that was very experienced um there was stories in the US press uh ridiculously suggesting some kind of flirtation that he had, had when he when he was I, I believe foreign minister with condoleezza Rice uh so he's a handsome guy um a rugby player uh but but the support of Leslie lewis uh this up and coming lawyer who who was uh, very well liked with the strong social conservative types that for people who, for whom or abortion rights are still an issue uh, that really put O'Toole over the top and so then when he went into the last election campaign you still have to, you know like in the US the, the center is where the votes are he he presented a much more centrist uh, election platform uh, was, was open to uh, climate change uh, legislation uh, and but ultimately failed uh, the liberals are have a very well oiled electoral machine justin trudeau at that point had run two election campaigns successfully uh, he was a much more experienced leader and O'Toole uh, lost and that is one thing a lot of conservative supporters can't abide is losing an election especially to justin trudeau
2: yep so just to bring the, the ball home just to bring the point back uh so we're, at the moment, the Conservative Party doesn't have a, uh, a, yeah, are you good? So so at the moment, we don't have a, a leader for the Conservative Party. Uh, according to you, what are the chances that we um, end up with a far-right leader or a more centrist like O'Toole? Uh, are we at risk of having a uh, Trumpian figure at the head of the, um, the Conservative Party, or are we good to have one sense, sensible and person did you catch again. that?
4: Because my internet broke up quite a bit. I can repeat.
1: Yeah, yeah I think I thought this was a sort of okay. it, it, You know, whether, whether we like to have a Trump-like leader of the Conservative Party in Canada, uh, I, I don't think we'll ever have anyone that uh, uh, far out of kind of mainstream Canadian values, but the leading contender to replace Aaron O'Toole is a young MP from the Ottawa area who represents a rural riding named Pierre Poliver uh he uh is a, a experienced politician and he, he had been a held a relatively junior cabinet post under Stephen harper and then in opposition was kind of a uh um the, the guy who would kind of put the stick in uh, in, in the house of commons uh, very aggressive questioning and he's uh has very much aligned himself with the, the trucker protests uh he is definitely campaigning from a much more conservative position than others uh, in the party. Uh, And and he's also from Ontario, which is interesting because the conservative party, the modern conservative party, is now kind of amalgam of of, uh, sort of Western uh, interests. Uh, So, Saskatchewan, Alberta, which is a bit like our Texas, uh, and British Columbia, uh, compared to the more centrist uh, business uh, Bay Street or our Wall Street representation from ontario conservative mps who tended to be sort of a, a little more uh, red or tories as they call them so he's from ontario but he is much more of a conservative and he is the person to beat at this point he's already declared uh that he's going to run for the leadership and no one else has formally declared yet but there is still uh, groups within the party that would like to see a more centrist leader uh there's a, a guy from southern ontario uh named uh michael chong uh is an, uh, an asian canadian uh and uh a very moderate and he's spoken out against the protests uh, in the house of commons saying it's time to go home while respecting their rights to protest freely and also uh understanding their concerns about vaccination mandates uh he's kind of staked out different grounds so uh, i mean this is the fascinating thing about the story and i covering it for 15 days straight, is that, that not only are these kind of social issues playing out, there's medical health issues playing out, but the immediate future of the main rival, uh, our equivalent of the minority party in Congress, is uh, being determined in large part by the reactions uh, to to the trucker protest, And uh, we don't really know how it's going to play out. Like, it, it, the... This thing could go on for a long time. And there's been talk about um, possible uh, military intervention that they would bring in the police. And that's a whole interesting other subject with respect to the prime minister and his personal history with this, uh, that weighs kind of the constitutional rights to protest against uh, privacy, uh, or or, sorry, against public safety uh, and the needs, the rights of of people in the communities.
0: So I want to ask uh, you, but also Alicia and and Ev, um, there's a temptation from a U.S. perspective to look at this and say, OK, uh, the truckers kind of map on to the MAGA people. True. They, they even say, fuck Trudeau, which sounds a lot like, you know, fuck Joe Biden or or or, um, uh, you know, uh, let's Go Brandon. Uh, the um, Trudeau is a kind of particularly good-looking Joe Biden figure, but is a kind of a similar, uh, occupies a similar position in the political spectrum. And then you have a conservative movement that is in some disarray as it kind of veers between traditionalism and traditional conservatives and this kind of uh populist conservatism and so my question is how good is that kind of one-to-one mapping of of you know american political spectrum onto the modern canadian spectrum leaving out quebec sorry for now um but that's just kind of a like its own its own thing um and to what extent is that facile and misses an important, or other than Quebec, important elements of the Canadian political ecosystem?
1: This, to, this to me, um, I would say, it, 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 you know, it's it's kind of an easy comparison to do that mapping. I, I'm not sure that it's completely accurate. Uh, I mean, you know, Justin Trudeau is a much further left political leader and, and and governs much further left than than Joe Biden. Uh, I mean, that's just, the Canadian values are, you know, even, even, you know, a lot of conservative supporters were you to map them into the United States would very likely be Democrats. Uh, so it, it, it doesn't quite work that, exactly that way. Uh, yeah, but there, but Justin Trudeau, uh, perhaps because he's so good, I don't know. Uh, he, he creates a, uh, triggers a, a response among certain political opponents and conservatives, in particular, uh, that I hadn't seen any other prime minister, perhaps save for his father, has has provoked, and um, they really don't like him. They they, they the, the 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 ridicule, the mockery of him uh, is is very strong, and they got a lot of ammunition two elections ago. When it came out in the middle of the election campaign that he had worn blackface on several occasions uh, this is a guy who uh, part of his political mantra is massive outreach to uh, racialized groups to indigenous groups uh, reconciliation with indigenous people is very important to him so this was what we thought was going to be in the middle of an election campaign and keep in mind these are short election campaigns only 36 days uh, that, uh, we thought that was going to be a death blow for him because, uh, it was, uh, uh the optics of that were, I mean, uh, above all else, you know, the offense he caused by wearing blackface, not once, but repeatedly, uh, was so serious. Uh, but also we thought it was going to be politically toxic to him. And yet somehow he survived, uh, that election. Um, and so, but, the, but the, the the mega conservatives you're talking about from the United States, I don't think, uh, well, until now, we didn't think they really mapped on to that larger share of the conservative party. But now we're assessing because what we're seeing here, not just because of the numbers of people on here or the virulence and of their opinion and how dedicated they are to this, uh, but it's clearly getting a lot of support across the country. I mean, I saw a poll today that said, only 32% of Canadians support, um, it's only, sorry, only, about, I think it's about 67% of Canadians in generally disapprove of the protests, uh, but 32% either somewhat or very much support it. So that is not a some small, as Trudeau called them, a small fringe, uh, a small fringe minority. And that and really, the protesters have really glommed onto that slogan, and I've seen them wearing T-shirts with it, Uh, And it's been likened to Hillary Clinton's uh, line dismissing Trump supporters as uh, deplorables. uh, In the same way that uh, MAGA people uh, adopted that as as kind of a a badge of honor, you're seeing some of these truckers uh, pick up on on that small fringe minority line as well. And, And it clearly isn't a small fringe minority. There is... There is a, well, it's a minority, but it's not a small fringe. And, and so there, so I think what we're, we're learning from this protest is that there is a political market for that, and what we don't know is whether it's going to be electorally palatable so that when Canadians go to the polls, uh, likely within the next year or two, because we have a minority government that could fall at any time, uh, that's going to be a road test of that. So if the Conservative Party chooses a a lot a leader who is more aligned with that viewpoint we don't know if that is going to connect if he's going to be able to to sell that at the same time he reaches out to the traditional conservative base particularly in ontario where all the uh, this, the electoral districts are that they need to win uh or whether that will offend uh ontario voters uh, because that's a much more ethnically diverse province especially the seats that are always in play are, are very ethnically diverse uh, and we don't know if that's going to offend them or or if that new leader, whoever he or she may be, can unite that MAGA Canada movement with traditional Conservative base. And if he can or she can, uh, Conservatives will win the election handily because people are just generally like to throw out leaders after three or four elections, or two or three elections uh, in Canada anyway. And Trudeau is on kind of a... You know, limited the number of times he could go back and, and run again may be limited by his own party. Uh, so it's it's a big question mark. Uh, and, and I'll let uh, Alicia and you uh, throw in the rest of-
4: I I actually think that this has been a long time in the coming. Um, I grew up in rural Anglo Canada and saw that there was there were sentiments that were swinging right long before this, um, and the then moving to ottawa and working there for a conservative senator one thing that really struck me was the lack of understanding for rural canadians and their viewpoints and a, and a i think um like dis- disregarding whatever they had to say or or saying that they would never actually go that far right um so there's that the second thing is that trudeau i don't think ever really won because of him or his own right he was like a choice that was better than the other options and that's kind of like I think how it panned out when he called an election in, in the in the pandemic too like he, he didn't actually get his majority at all um and then the third thing is coming back to some research that I'd done so I've been following your election in the U.S. Uh, and came up with a model of participatory propaganda looking at how Trump kind of was elected in the communities that supported him and one thing that really struck me back then was how organized they were and how good they were at engaging audiences to become propagandists themselves. So then in 2017, I did the same type of study comparing left and right in Canada. And what I found was that we had Facebook pages like Canada Proud, Ontario Proud that were super active. And by the time the next election came in Ontario, these guys had outstripped engagement and followings more so than the candidates themselves. And they continue to operate and push things. And some of the things, I dropped a link in there earlier, some of the things that they were saying back in 2017 was like, Trump should be our prime minister and advocating for it. And so there's a part of- You can have him
0: any time.
4: Albert and Saskatchewan can just go off with Montana and take Trump with them. But what I'm trying to say is that what I always found really jarring coming to work in Ottawa is that there is kind of a liberal elite that does disregard, you know, rural Canadians who are conservative. And now we see them kind of resurging following methods that Americans have really kind of perfected, sadly. But we do also have the left now responding that way too. So it's it's gonna get interesting and ugly, I
1: think. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good point. And, and it, I mean, I think it's, it's, you gotta remember the conservative party of today is an amalgam of what was called the reform party which was basically a western canadian-based protest movement that was much more uh conservative socially uh economically and they uh but they they were not electorally viable they could never win power so they had to form reform as this modern conservative party uniting with uh trying to unite with quebec because a lot of votes in quebec uh, and in particular ontario and stephen harper Previous prime minister successfully did that. He he reformed the party. He was its first leader, and he stayed in power uh, for nine years. Uh, the thing about importing some of the tactics and and, and strategies from the United States—that's absolutely the case. Um, the social media uh, of the trucker protesters is enormous. Uh, they are very active, uh, and and they use it very effectively. And the other thing they've imported, and this is something that I have to deal with on a on a daily, is. They've taken the fake news idea from the United States and they are absolutely allergic to what they call the mainstream media. Uh, so much so that you know we've had to change the way our, because the television network, we have to send cameras into the field to cover this protest. We've had to change the way we do that because uh, the aggression and the hostility that we face from the people who are in the crowd, and part of this is, uh, you know kind of a, a, a mob situation you get a group of people together they do things uh, and act uh to, towards journalists in a way that they wouldn't uh, one-on-one uh but it's been uh, i gotta say covering it i've never covered anything like this uh i've had people i've tried to do my on-cam stand-ups at the end of the night and out on the street and people coming up and yelling obscenities in my ear um and they all pull out their, their phones and start recording us to make sure they're telling the truth and they Uh, repeatedly call us fake news. Uh, The other night I had a, and this rattled me a little, I have to say, because I'm used to, you know, people not liking journalists, that's that's an occupational hazard. But we had a, there was a man carrying a small child on his shoulders who came up and stood behind me when I was trying to do my stand-up in front of a camera. Uh, And he was in the shot, and and then he moved off. Uh, And and then when he found out which news network we are affiliated with, uh then he uh, yelled like an obscenity at me nothing i don't hear in my newsroom every day but it just really kind of uh rattled me a little that this guy was so angry and so uh distrustful of the media that he would act that way with a with a child possibly his child uh, on his shoulders so that and, and and of course this is this is something american journalists have been dealing with since 2016 and so it's not it's not new uh, down there uh, but it is new here, and we're all news organizations uh, that are covering this protest are trying to adapt to that and find ways to do it in a less confrontational way and 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 a way that keeps. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's safe because I don't, no one's been physically hurt, but it's very disruptive when you're trying to work, and and that's happening to you. So again, that again, another kind of thing that, that came from the United States
0: all right well with apologies for our exports we are gonna to go to audience questions uh, uh we only have a few minutes so uh, quick questions uh and uh, quick answers and to our questioners please direct your questions to one of the guests Richard the floor is yours okay well I I guess I want to pick up on Glenn's mentions uh We're talking about exports of some sort, and I'm wondering if the protests are having a significant negative effect on the attitudes of some Canadians towards the U.S. And is there any meaningful likelihood of this sparking some sort of nationalist backlash against the U.S., something that a a political candidate could actually use effectively uh, in the near future?
1: Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, Canadians, uh, I mean, we're often described as the, as the mouse that sleeps next to the elephant. Uh, Canadians uh, absorb American culture constantly. Uh, we travel back and forth across the border. Uh, something like 80% of us live within about 100 miles of the U.S. border. Uh, we see Canada is considers ourselves to be the United States' closest neighbor. Uh, and that's why I say uh, there was puzzlement when we saw what was happening uh, in 2016 uh, with the rise of the MAGA movement, uh, but, but also Canadians also have a kind of a um, a view of the United States that, that even though you're very much like us culturally, there's some things we don't, we find strange. Uh, your failure to adopt a, uh, a nationalized, single-payer, uh, government-run healthcare system as we have in Canada, uh, is, is for a great number of Canadians a real head scratcher because it's because our, our 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 healthcare system is something we're very proud of. Uh, although it's been extremely taxed by the pandemic, and some of the cracks in, in the system are, are are showing through, chiefly that it's just not funded enough. We spent a lot more money on it, uh, and we also a lot of Canadians don't really understand um, the, uh, the, 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 the the how widespread. Gun ownership is in the United States and the amount of gun crime you have, particularly when we see it on the news when there's a you know, a mass killing. Um, that's something we'd see far less of in Canada. Rates of gun ownership are a lot lower here. But, again, we have that constituency uh, in Canada, particularly in rural Canada, particularly in Western Canada, that are much more aligned. Even have kind of, we don't really have anything equivalent to the NRA, but we have uh, a fairly strong firearms lobby, and they are extremely adverse to the Trudeau government because he has brought in even further uh, uh, gun control uh, rules, particularly uh, or more, most recently after a, uh, uh, a, a gun massacre in Nova Scotia uh, in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. So, anyway, sorry, I was supposed to be a short answer, was
4: I just want to add, though, see, this is the rural divide, like, I grew up in a farm, we had rifles because you had to deal with rabid foxes, and we don't understand why you need to, to regulate that. Of course, automatic stuff is a little bit different.
0: I think, you know, uh, it's all about uh, anti-tank missile rights. Uh, John Hawkinson, uh, you get the last question today.
1: Well, this is really just a summary question of the entire show, but here it is anyway, and maybe you can wrap with it or tie a bow on it. And I think it's for Alicia, but maybe Ben wants to take it. Is this a sign that the degradation of the American experiment into polarization is a phenomenon just far more widespread than the United States? Obviously the answer is yes, but what does it imply for how we can resolve it?
0: Alicia, what are your thoughts? I have a, a, a brief thought on this subject, but you're the, you're the information ecosystem person.
4: I think democracy is the world over in danger right now, given um, our inability to govern the information environment and really articulate what our values are for even intervening in it. So it isn't just an American problem. And it didn't start in America. I mean, look at Hungary and, and the UK. Uh, it's, it's everywhere. Glenn?
1: Uh, yeah, I, 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 well, I, 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 I'm not sure I totally uh, buy that premise. I mean, uh, our, 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 our politics in Canada and, and our culture, reflects the united states in large parts um but i, I don't think it's the, the parallels map uh, that easily i have a colleague of mine a canadian who works in washington and every every time he sees a story in canada that resembles the united states he always says hey canada get your own thing so <laughs> i think so we kind of did here with the trucker protest and uh and i see the signs that it may it may actually be exported to the United States. Let's talk about a a trucker convoy towards Washington. So uh, we'll see. But uh, yeah, we'll leave it at
0: that. I just want to say any truckers who want to try to come to Washington and navigate the streets here, uh, you are welcome. Uh, Try getting out. Um, (laughs) We are going to leave it there. Um, Glenn, apologies for the technical difficulties. Thank you so much for joining us. I normally tell guests they're great Americans, but I can't tell you that. You're a great Canadian, as are you, Alicia Wanless. Uh, uh, Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're gonna be back on Friday. It is gonna be Mike Chase playing Where's the Lie on In lieu of Fun. I know a lot of you have been waiting for this because you know, he's super funny and he's a good storyteller. And that's what you want in A Where's the Lie. So that's going to be 20, uh, 46 hours and 55 minutes from now. And until then, Eve Goumont.
2: Um We're not allowed to have fun, but we're allowed to work together, Canadian and Americans, to f- protect democracy.
0: Indeed, that's and we're allowed to have very loud trucks. I didn't know there were trucks in Canada, you know. It's, um, it's you know, I'm just amazed by that.
2: Bye, guys.
4: Bye, everyone.